Welcome to the Gatecast and our journey to the Pegasus Galaxy and the City of the Ancients, Atlantis. Good evening everybody, welcome to the Season 4 Stargate Atlantis wrap-up show. As has been the norm for the past few weeks, Alan uh, won't be joining us. As you know, he's living at home at the moment. He's back home in Ireland, and uh, he's not having a great time living with his parents. He's, his lifestyle is kind of well, crimped, maybe. Let's put it this way: he needs a place of his own, and he's finally an apartment he's been to look at. And obviously, that comes before recording an episode of the Gatecast. I personally am appalled by that decision, but he seems to think it's important, so uh, we'll let him have it. But Brad's joined me again. Good evening, Brad. Oh uh, yes, thank you, Mike. I've returned to save the day once again. <laughs> we'll rack up his uh, 2015 appearances in no time. Must have been double figures by now. Yeah, yeah, surely. Right, as usual for a, a wrap-up show, we'll basically just go through the 20 episodes of Season 4, point out a few things. We have got the poll results that we ran for a week. Not too bad. thought we'd get a few more votes, considering Season 4 is very, very strong. As Brad pointed out, though, perhaps Season 4 is a bit too strong. A lot of people couldn't make their mind up. Mm, I was going to ask how the uh, the polling went, but we'll find out as we get to the episodes, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, strong episodes this season. It was definitely hard to narrow one down and pick for one. It gets to the point where you pick based on characters more than anything. Is it a strong Rodney episode? Is it a strong, uh, I was going to say, Tilk? He was only in it for one episode and a bit. <laughs> a Ronan or a Rodney episode. Taylor got herself a few good episodes as well. Yep. Which is a bit ironic. Yeah. <laughs> And that she was pregnant too, so they're sort of working around a lot of that sort of stuff as well. No, I went for uh-uh. no. I'm not going to say which one it is. Oh. I was just I was going <laughs> to say I went for which one I uh, probably the most I've watched. Looking at the list now, probably isn't the one I've watched the most. <laughs> it changes <laughs> so much for that plan. <laughs> yeah, it changes it changes every time. Definitely a strong episode. Yeah, I think there always is. If you like a series, there's always going to be some episodes you can just sit down and watch. Even if a series is strong and art, you know, you, you know it enough where you can just cherry-pick an episode. Yeah, and it definitely makes it a lot easier now that here in Australia, Stargate Atlantis is on Netflix all five seasons. That that does make it easier. Yeah, you can really just go and cherry-pick. I've been re-watching a few of the season four episodes for this, but I've also been watching a few of the next season episodes as well, and yeah, we haven't got a lot left. <laughs> it's sad. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Unless we didn't get season six, but there are uh, the continuing adventures of Atlantis on novel form from Pandemonium, mm. Stargate novels. Doesn't quite replace broadcast television series, but uh, better than nothing. Mm. I've got to finish reading that one. Got a few of them. I probably should buy the complete series and just go for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got the continuation of Atlantis, which would be their season six. Well, they're up to about, what, book eight? I yeah. Well, don't tell me that. <laughs> Well, that's one thing. It's easier to buy them, buy them for the Kindle, you know, cheaper and easier as well. Yeah. Right then, we might as well get started. None of this nonsense about syncing up a DVD or anything like that. No, there's no episode in my Dropbox. <laughs> we'll have a little bit of trivia, you know, the final poll results and other information at the end of this episode, but for now... We'll kick off with Season 4, Episode 1, Adrift, first broadcast September the 28th, 2007. This was written by Martin Garrow and directed by Martin Wood. Continuation from the season three finale with Atlantis happily floating around the galaxy. Mm. 
part of a three-parter, they reckon. That first strike, that was such a great episode. The replicators attacking and sending Atlantis off into space. What we thought was another planet, but we didn't quite get there. Well, one of the beauties I liked about that, the replicators, the Asaurans, it was an intelligent attack against the city. Mm. It wasn't just, let's fly four or five ships into orbit, open up with all we've got, and hope we uh, destroy them before they destroy us. Yeah. It was clever, it was fiendish even. And of course, <laughs> Elizabeth, well, she got injured. Yeah, she's out for the episode, or most of the episode. <laughs> yeah, strange considering that. I'm not sure, at the time, did we know she was leaving? I don't think we did, did we? No. Although it might have been announced uh, during the hiatus. Ah, okay. It probably was. Well, they would have been filming Ghost of the Machine by then, I'd yeah. imagine, so yeah. It would have been hinted at what was going on behind the scenes there with the arguments and whatever else. Adrift. Yep. Some nice visuals. Some very nice visuals, yeah. yeah. Of course, we did get uh, Jewel State making a second appearance as uh, Dr. Jennifer Keller. Yep. Not too confident at the moment. She does have some big shoes to fill. And it's not as if we're ever going to see Carson again. <laughs> well, we know we know that now. <laughs> Ronan's walking around with a big bit of glass hanging out of him, out of his shoulder. Oh, yeah. nothing. Nothing's going to affect Ronan. McKay's in the uh, I'm-too-busy-to-speak role. And we also get uh, some time spent on Midway. Mm. Sam and Dr. Lee, they're both kind of... It's like a giant Lego kit, putting it together yeah. as they go. They're a bit confused because Atlantis was supposed to meet him at their destined planet. What possibly could have gone wrong? Yeah. Kind of a huge search is undertaken. The Apollo. Yeah. Colonel Ellis, Michael Beach. Yep. He was a good addition to the show. Mm. They got some fine actors in small recurring roles. Obviously, it's just money. You pay an actor enough, then... Uh, They'll come up for a couple of days shooting in Vancouver. It's not a, a great equation to figure out, but uh, it's always nice when you see a decent actor. Yeah. This was, I believe, Zelenka doing his little spacewalk, wasn't it? It was. Zelenka and John in the spacesuits. <laughs> I'm just going to throw you. <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant. That was. I'll throw you, and then the momentum will drag me with you. And so the great thing about that is that is factually accurate. That yeah. is how it would work. It looks ridiculous. That is what would happen. It looks great, just the visual, the way they uh, zoom all the way out and do the pan around and come back in again. You've got the building that's just had a massive chunk taken out of the middle of it and the city floating through space. I think you also see the tower in the background too with the uh, shield shrunk down around it. Yeah, there was a, a lot of damage done. Mm. This was the asteroid, wasn't it? Get the jumpers out and let's play asteroids. Yep. And Rodney. Rodney was actually proved to be rather a proficient pilot. Mm. Although he did nearly ram the main tower. <laughs> He'd let one get through. <laughs> Overall, though, very strong opening to the series. As you said, uh, a lot of visual effect, some good character pieces, an excellent way to kick off the season. Mm. We also get McKay suggesting to reactivate Tory's Nanites. Not Tory, Elizabeth's <laughs> Nanites. And they end up doing it, and she's back all of a sudden. But we don't know how much of a replicator she is. Yeah, that, that's kind of pulling the wool over your eyes, isn't it? You think, oh, well, of course she's alive. She's not going to be dead, is she? Mm. She's back now. <laughs> yeah, so that's a ride out. Yeah. Right, this episode did get a couple of nominations. Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Special Visual Effects. Mm -hmm. And also we got nominated for VES Award, again, for Outstanding Visual Effects. I don't believe they won either of them, but uh, it's always interesting. You wonder what did win then? Yeah, they definitely put some money into this episode. Well, yeah, I say there's always money for the premiere and uh, the finale. It's just then it's penny pinching for the rest of the season. Yeah, but then we get a couple of other episodes coming up where the uh, the budget stretched again. So, <laughs> and especially a lot of these shots they wouldn't be able to reuse. Like the city flowing through space, all that stuff's 
one-time shots. This episode got one vote. Oh, wasn't mine. Yeah, let's assume, everybody, that I say I expected it to get more. Uh. <laughs> right, then, let's move on to episode two. Do you want to uh, do the little synopsis and info for that, Brad? Episode two is Lifeline, written by Carl Binder and directed by Martin Wood. Lieutenant Colonel Shepard and his team use Dr. Weir to perform a daring operation to infiltrate Asaurus to steal a much-needed ZPM power Atlantis and to go to their new home. And Apollo continues to search for him in the background. This was good. They made no bones about it in the commentary that, you know, they wanted to do a heist episode. And what could be better than to infiltrate the uh, Soren homeworld and steal a ZPM? Yeah. Probably the most valuable commodity in Pegasus. And the most, well, the, the biggest villain we've got at the moment. The Wraith have been sort of softened by this stage, though. Oh, yeah. And, of course, well, they're led by Obroth, who is a... Well, an opinionated leader. He doesn't think much of humans. Mm. Although, truth be told, well, I don't know whose who's fault is it. Yes, we visited them and he wasn't going to... I think right from the word go, he pretty much decided sooner or later he was going to have to kill everybody on Atlantis. It would have been kind of cheating the story if, if he had been happy and then just handed over a dozen ZPMs. Yeah. And just said, you know, forget our address or anything like that. <laughs> don't come and call him. <laughs> don't come back. <laughs> yeah, here's a prezi. Bye-bye. Mm. <laughs> Next time you call, we'll all be hiding behind the sofas. <laughs> Shield over the gate. We got the experimental jumper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the FTL-capable jumper. Yeah, something Rodney was working on when he was a uh, heightened bean. It can only get there and get back, but it can't go anywhere else. Yeah, it's amazing how many things Rodney worked on while the, uh, his brain was enhanced. Yeah. It gave the writers an easy out. So, Elizabeth, all geared up with a nanite goes on the raid because she can interface with the replicators in the city. A little bit matrixy, but rather, you know, done rather well. Mm. It was a, a well-planned out raid. They used their uh, anti-replicator guns and they used the, the shield using the same technology. It gave them a lot of uh, leeway, but eventually the replicators managed to force their way through, basically by sacrificing <laughs> minions. Yeah, it's amazing how different tech can be integrated into a shield emitter. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go according to plan. The replicators caught on a bit quicker and Elizabeth finally decided she had to intervene directly and intercepted Oberoth and a duel of minds. Mm. Is Oberoth winning or is it Elizabeth? It, uh, kind of going back to back. And she holds her own for a little while. Well, yeah, she convinces him that he's won. Yeah. Which does give John and company the time to escape. Unfortunately for Elizabeth, she doesn't escape. No. Sacrifices herself. And at that point, well... She's dead. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Even when they finally get the jumper, you know, off the planet into orbit, they are miraculously saved by the Apollo in a very nice CGI effect. Mm. So that was Lifeline, the third episode of the trilogy. Did not get any votes. Episode three, Reunion. First aired October the 12th, 2007. This episode was written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by Will Waring. This is a Ronan story. Yeah, Ronan hears words that there may be Tedans on a nearby world, so he takes Taylor along to go and meet him. Turns out, surprise, surprise, they know each other. Remarkable. Yeah, it must have been a small planet. Or else only his regiment survived. You know, people from his regiment survived. Yeah, being military, I suppose, they uh, don't have a higher rate of survival than most, I suppose. 
This episode, though, is pretty strong for guest stars. The three Satedans, played by Alex Povanovich, Kyra Zagorski and Mark Dakotas. Three very familiar faces from Canadian televisions. Let's not forget, Christopher Judge made a small cameo right at the beginning. Did he? Yes, with uh, Sam. Oh, yeah. Telling him she's taken over. The B-plot of this episode is the (laughs) announcement that the IOA are going to appoint a new commander of the uh, expedition. And Rodney is, (laughs) well, he considers himself the only logical candidate, really. Yeah, he's just waiting for the phone call. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, when he finally gets to talk with Sam, for a few brief seconds, he's... He's all, you know, happy and delighted. Then it just dawns on him that she's not quite saying the right thing. Mm. And then <laughs> the boom drops. You just see the excitement drain from his face. <laughs> on the upside, Rodney, Sam's coming to live and work on Atlantis. That, if nothing else, should have cheered him up. Yeah. After Ronan has his reunion, he's a little bit upset that Sam won't allow him to bring his people to the city. Obviously, security reasons, they don't know them. Uh, they've just found a new planet. They don't want to give the gate address out. That would not be a clever idea. No. But they do have a little tempting piece of information. The location of a Wraith laboratory. So they embark on a, a mission to raid it. Mm. Yeah, they've been doing some little operations. We're told that. What happens next? I doubt they've killed any Wraith. Well, as it turns out, it's one huge trap. They are Wraith worshippers. Although... I suppose you've got to give them some leeway. They were tortured beyond the bounds of what I won't say would be acceptable, mm. but even for the Goa'uld, what the Wraith put these people through is remarkably vicious. Yeah. Remember that Bol would kill Jack, bring him back, kill Jack, bring him back. These people are having life force drained out from them until they're on the verge of death and then being brought back to life. Mm. Yeah, that was that must have been terrifying because I'm pretty sure they didn't rip their energy from the body slowly either. No. They made him feel every second. Yeah, I don't think I would get to the second <laughs> the second try. <laughs> One of the best things about this episode, though, was almost in a split second, Ronan makes his decision whose side he's going to be on. Mm. When he hears the Atlantis part of the raid in trouble, off he goes. No ifs, no buts. The plan to capture Rodney, so he could actually work on a captured replicator. Yeah, it was a separate Wraith commander. This time the team get captured and Todd isn't there to escape, but I'm pretty sure if he was there, he would have escaped. Nah, the replica is there to escape. <laughs> yeah, eventually when Ronan learns that his friends have become wraith worshippers, they pretty much all turn on him. Unfortunately, it kind of goes pear-shaped because they turn on each other as well. Mm. And in the melee, Ara, played by Kira, she gets a throat slash by Rakai, played by Alex. Ronan kills him and then he has a kind of big one-on-one fight with Tyre. Bye bye, Mark. And that's a pretty good uh, action sequence because they're both rather proficient in, well, not martial arts, but, you know, actual physical stunt work. Well, that's the thing I was going to say. It's a great stunt scene, choreography and all that set up, but it's probably them doing it. Well, it was them doing it. Stargate of Sporters, they have had very, very good stunt coordinators. Bam Bam, of course, did Atlantis. He's obviously working on the Arrow at the moment. But they kind of really perfected the use of the actor's as much as they could into a fight sequence so it looks genuine. Mm. They have been captured by the Wraith an awful lot. Yeah. At any time, a Wraith could have put a bullet in any of their heads and be done with it. Yeah. When the human race finally goes to the stars and we meet other races, we might be in for a shot. They can (laughs) shoot straight. They are intelligent. (laughs) You just won't hear from people again. (laughs) Yeah, they'll just disappear. Yeah. Okay, reunion. Did not get any votes. 
The Flesh Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. Two hundred miles below the surface of the earth, at the terminus of a series of long sealed caverns and interconnected shines, under the shadow of the eternally bleeding eye, there is a crippled wreck of a man writing tales, stories of a dimension engulfed in madness. He is writing them of you. Think them all at fleshpulp.com or search for it on iTunes. Okay, episode four, Doppelganger. Word that right. Original air date, October 19, 2007. Uh, written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Robert C. Cooper. Bit of a redo of the SG-1 season one episode. <laughs> blank, blank. I know, I know, yellow sand. Yeah, blue crystals. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's stop talking about an episode from season one. <laughs> that we can't name. <laughs> yeah, the, the team go to an alien planet. They find this strange cellular type crystal life form growing on a tree yeah well they put it <laughs> not a clever idea it seems to die so they bring it back john is feeling a little strange and you see him touch people and you see a little pulse of light mm. and this energy based entity is transferring itself from person to person and kind of feeding off their nightmares their negative emotions if you will yeah and each person it kind of affects slightly differently i would actually have to read a synopsis to figure out how each ones are affected. This is probably blending from other episodes again. Is this the one where Rodney's in the boat rowing around circles and there's a clown in there? Yes. They're all about, yeah. And we lose Dr. Heitmeyer. That's right, yes. Claire Rankin, her final appearance as Dr. Kate Heitmeyer. Out the window. Yeah, she gets affected and kind of her terror is, I don't know if it's heights or paranoia or something like that. Either way, she dies in her sleep. Yeah. The entity actually has a falling off her Falling off a building, off the tower, in a mm. rather dramatic piece of CGI. Yeah. Because you see it through her eyes, falling down. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Up until that point, their uh, dreams can't kill us. Sort of a Freddy take on it. Yeah, very much so. Mm. We got the uh, the little homage to Alien as well, with Taylor uh, on the operating table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the blood splattered that day. Yeah. Strangely enough, I was quite intrigued by Ronan's nightmare. Being alone. Mm. You realise that seven years as a runner, probably, as we know, even when he did settle down for a small while in that village, he later learned that, you know, most of them got killed. Yeah. So you probably realise how lonely he was for so long. Right now, the very fact that he's found a place to live, he's safe, he's making friends, to have that taken away from him would seriously hurt him. Mm. And again, some very nice camera work as he was running through the city, then... Going out straight into the woods. That's <laughs> it. Who else did we get? Oh, yeah. Keller, she was taking sleeping pills or something, wasn't she? Mm. Her nightmare was Taylor being, you know... Shepard gets one dream of McKay dying on the operating table. Well, it's not even an operating table. He's unconscious for some reason. Keller can't uh, resuscitate him. And then they all blame Shepard. That's the end. That's when oh, they figure out how oh, to okay. kill it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's in Rodney at the end. 
That's right. He's, it's in Rodney, and that's when he's because his kind of nightmare is Moby Dick. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah. <laughs> what his father gave him as a kid, like you know, being chased by the giant whale. <laughs> so he's in yeah. the middle of the ocean on a rowboat in torrential downpour, and the alien John is in the boat with him. <laughs> don't don't look behind you. <laughs> that's a bit. That's a clan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the the only way to kill it is with electricity. So while it's in at least partially in Rodney, I think they zap John. And we actually see, because we see a lot of the finale is in their minds. Yeah, yep. So they have a big fight sequence, John versus John, the good John and the uh, NT. Then Rodney comes in, aha, you know, I'm here now. And then all of a sudden lightning arcs around, the aliens are going, what the hell's going on here? Goodbye. We've got you. Save the day again. You know, defibrillators, which Alan is always annoyed when they use wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, my chest hurts. Zap him. <laughs> I've stubbed my toe. Zap him. An interesting episode. It's, I won't say it's a good episode. It's just an interesting episode. Yeah. It's, it was a clever idea, nicely done. Overall, probably not the strongest of the season. Mm, it's one of those ones you need to watch then sort of leave for a while and forget about and go back to again. Yeah, like we've already forgotten about it. I mean, <laughs> well, I can't remember who did it with me. I probably should have wrote down who uh, actually co-hosted. Mm. Doppelganger did very good on the poll. Ah. It got five votes. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you like the team fighting each other, but you don't like the team fighting aliens. Well, it could be the fact that uh, it was a John episode. And yeah, true. I imagine most of our votes came from our Twitter followers. He does play evil good. Oh, yeah. Evil John. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Episode five of season four. Travelers. October the 26th, 2007. This episode was written by Joseph and Paul, directed by Will Waring. Now then, Shepard is on his way to a small agricultural outpost. He's taking some provisions, isn't he? Basically, he's uh, going for a bit of a booty call. <laughs> There's a scientist here he's interested in. Yeah, that's how Rodney puts it. He's a military leader of the expedition. If he wants to take a jumper out and take some fruit to this young lady, then that is exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. Unfortunately for him, he gets captured by... As of yet, an unknown species of aliens. But they have ships. They have ships. They have mm. quite big ships. And luckily for John, they are very humanoid. They're human, basically. They're they're just another version of what the ancients cooked up. And even luckier for John. Yes, <laughs> even luckier <laughs> for John. Larin, the leader, is played by Joe Wagner. Mm. If you're going to be proed by an alien, then, well, I'll go with Joe Wagner, no problem at all. Yeah. Although her little thugs, they did a bit of a number on him. Yeah. <laughs> John did not help much being this sarcastic self. <laughs> this is what I, I watched this, rewatched this last night. Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah. Still, still pushing the Fantastic Four. This is in one of the top ones for the season. They want him to help activate Sleeping Ancient Warship. Yes, another Aurora-class battleship. Another one just floating out there. Why was this one not sending the beacon back to Atlantis when it was woken? <laughs> You've got to say that the ancients, for all their technology and knowledge, when it came to an orderly retreat, they really were not on the ball. No. You'd think, well, why don't we take the ship and fly back? And we damaged a bit, but, you know, it's... Let's go and hide it somewhere in case we come back. Yeah. No, nah, nah, it's all right. We'll <laughs> there. We can make another five where that come from. Yeah, so we're introduced to the Aurora, basically by having John stand on the landing bay <laughs> and pulling back the bay doors and just... Have him standing there on the force field. Doing a flyover, that was a great little scene. It was very nicely done. Be careful, it glitches. Oh, you can fly out. They didn't quite figure out what John was capable of. They mm. got him into the command chair on the bridge. He activated the systems just by 
touching the panel, the two technicians, oh, fantastic, this is working, this is working. Make it go forward. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, no inertial dampeners, that's wait, reduced wait, the wait. gravity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those two get smashed against the wall. We see that Larin is also smashed against the wall. Uh, everyone on that yeah. ship would have been injured. Yes, that ship didn't just go from zero to, I don't know, one metre per second. It went yeah. from zero to thousand miles per hour in a second. Yeah, sublight. John escapes with the Aurora. Unfortunately for him, of course, it is leaking radiation. <laughs> he is in danger. They come to a compromise. Unfortunately, by the time that compromise works its way out and they figure out that John isn't actually playing ball with them, he has sent a message to Atlantis, the Wraith turn up. Of course, Morse code. Yep. The Wraith now Morse code is... <laughs> well, they know something's there and they yeah. actually go and investigate. And they waste no time. They stop shooting. Hmm. You know, we're not going to explore the ship. Shoot it. Well, they know it's more advanced than them, and they haven't got the numbers to overpower it, so they're on the back foot. Yeah, it was a cruiser, wasn't it? It went to Hive. Oh, yeah, yep. John finally gets weapons going. You know, they have to do a little bit of jury-rigging. Unfortunately, three Wraith and a Dart manage to board the ship, and then it's kind of a running firefight through all the corridors. Mm, they take the bridge out, too. Yes, they do. That's right, yeah. So it's Lauren, John, versus the three Wraith. Mm-hmm. Was that her in the old age makeup? I don't think it was. I think that they had another actress do that. Because it take five, six hours to actually do yeah. that makeup, wouldn't it? It's easier to actually get another actress to do it. Because I didn't know if there was some CG involved or what, because the shrunken in cheeks and everything, her head was a lot smaller than what the actress's was. <laughs> Luckily for her, anyway, John's seen a uh, Rafe give life as well. So you're not going to be fed upon for much longer. And he has no bullets left in his gun, so he... He bluffs the rope to give its life back. <laughs> it's nice when it works out like that. Yeah. So there's no uh, IMDB credit for another actress, but I'm pretty sure that's what they've done. They want to add Jill, go through all that makeup for what was a five-second shot. Yeah. We get quite a lot of chemistry between Larin and John, but we've got to say it that Joe took many an opportunity to look down at Cleavage. <laughs> he definitely did. They made no bones about it. Just watch his eye line. Yeah. Whenever she bends over to look at him, and which she does a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's al- almost the sci-fi femme fatale. That was kind of the role Jill was playing. Yep. And I think they did it very well. They didn't make her appear, you know, sluttish. They didn't make her appear ridiculously dominant. She was intelligent. She was strong. She was in command. And she ran rings around John eventually. Yeah, she was using it to sort of distract him while she was... She knew exactly what she was doing every yeah. time. And the same with John, even though he'd sort of take a second to look or whatever else, he still had his own plans kicking along in the back of his mind. Yeah. Yep, and if you want to see more of Jill Wagner, I would recommend watching Blade the series. It was only one season before it got cancelled. It starts off a little rough, but it picks up nicely. It's uh, well worth watching. Right then, Travellers... It got three votes. Hmm. Okay, episode six, Tabula Rossa. Original air date, November 2007, written by Alan McCullough and directed by Martin Wood. And amnesia has set in. We get quite a spooky little opening with Rodney tied to a chair and the note play these tablet. Only Rodney would somehow get himself tied to a chair with a message to himself, for himself, to himself, mm. from himself. And the message is, find Taylor. Yeah, don't know who she is, don't know where she is. Yeah. <laughs> Just find it. All will be revealed. It was filmed very differently, and it looked very nice. Mm. They tried something different, I think it worked. I think one of the bigger issues with it was the uh, the jumping forward, backwards, time jumps. 
it never bothered me, but yeah. I suppose I think the network at the time actually wanted the text putting in just to make sure it didn't confuse everybody. Yeah. When they were in normal time, then and now, the episode was being filmed as normal. When it was in a time jump event in the past, that's when we got the kind of the gorge look, you know, very bright lights. Mm. It basically gave everybody a chance to do something a little different, especially Rodney. I mean, he, David really, really carried this episode. Yeah. I'm not, I was going to say, I'm not going to name the plant, but uh, Katie names a cactus-like plant after him. The introduction of the cactus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it'll get bigger with tender love and care. Never worry. <laughs> a few decent guest stars in this. Although at the time, Jewel State is still considered a recurring guest star. Brenda James, Dr. Katie Brown, as I said, the cactus. And at this point, their relationship is looking pretty good. Yeah, bubbly. It's bubbly a Yep, we also get Niall Matter, first time on the show. He actually uh, doesn't turn up as often as we'd hoped, but of course he went on to uh, star in Primeval New World and a few other shows, Eureka as well. But we get a lot of fun. We basically get the... Uh, as people lose their memories, the military soldiers are all high on amphetamines. <laughs> They're a little paranoid. The scientists, why are we being rounded up? Why are we being put in the, well, not the infirmary, it's the, it's the actual canteen, isn't it? Yeah, round, round everyone up. Yeah, eventually they have a breakout. We don't know who we are, but we're going to escape. <laughs> yes. Very striking looking episode, a very good story, some fantastic performances. This is an episode I could very easily have voted for as my favourite of the season. It isn't. But it very, very easily could have been. Yep. It also got a Gemini nomination for the best writing in a dramatic series for Alan McCullough. And well deserved. Roaming Atlantis with a metal pole. And Rodney's going round making marks. Because we'll know we've been here. But you won't remember you made the mark. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all because of a, a childhood sickness. Why Ronan and Taylor are immune because they had it when they were young. Yeah, the writers almost pulled a fast one. Because we find out that only one person's died and... We know that Katie is in the infirmary and Rodney slowly walks in. She's lying there, not moving. Can't see her breathing. Mm. <laughs> you go, no, not after the characters. <laughs> but she wakes up and everything's good. Well, I'll tell you, though, you know, five votes. Not bad at all. Yeah, I went back and I rewatched this one a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I can't really fault it. Contraya! Episode 7, Missing. First aired November the 9th, 2007. Written by Carl Binder and directed by Andy Makita. Now, this is the first time Jennifer goes to meet the Athosians on their new settlement. It basically goes day out. Jennifer's going in, get to know the people, do some medical checks. And when they finally get to a new Athos, there's nobody there. No, everyone's gone. While they're walking around, not in a panic, but seriously concerned, they notice some... Kind of Viking looking guys, big, <laughs> bulky blokes in furs and helmets and axes and arrows, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Taylor calls them the Bolakai, a group of mercenaries or bandits who kind of roam the, the gates, basically raiding settlements, taking what they want, killing people. Uh, rape and pillage. Yeah, it kind of suits the Viking mythos, doesn't it, really? <laughs> and of course, their leader, Danny Trejo. Yes. Totally underused. Yeah. Those couple of scenes, brilliant. Oh, they got him up there for a day. We haven't had time to write for you, but Keller brains her ankle. Bit of a klutz, really. Yeah. We get the bridge crossing scene. Oh, that was magnificent. It was shot beautifully, though. Mm. It really was. And they built the bridge. Yeah. Real stunt. Definitely uh, my favourite part of the episode, anyway. 
Yeah, credit to the two stunt women, Ali Dunn and Kylie Finau, who doubled for Taylor and Jennifer. It was an outstanding piece of television, that was. Mm. Taylor does catch a bloke. He claims to be a Jinnah spy, just doing a, a routine recon of the settlement. As it turns out, he wasn't quite as advertised. No. We get a bit of backstory on Keller as well. And, of course, the boys have to come and save the day. Uh, it didn't work because when they got showered by arrows, they weren't very good arrows. <laughs> it looked, it did look like they were being thrown just from off camera. Yeah. They weren't flying through the air like ballistic missiles. Yeah. No whistling through the air. No. Considering these Bolokai live and die by their ability to kill yeah. and fight. Taylor. Taylor was vicious. Mm. They annoyed her. She was annoyed. She was desperate, angry. She took it out on those few guys and they paid the price. Yeah, where are my people? <laughs> the kind of the big mystery of the season. Who took them and where have they gone? Yeah, probably not the best season arc that we've had. Probably not, no. They weren't doing anything with them anyway. They were sort of just hanging around, <laughs> hanging around the back. <laughs> yeah, this episode did get a Gemini nomination. Best performance for an actress in a lead dramatic role for Jewel State. Well done for her. It's good for any show to get nominated, even if they don't win. As we said, though, and you'll get this a lot, even though we don't rank an episode very highly, there are bits of it that we really like. And there was plenty in Missing to actually enjoy. It's just that when you put it all together, it's surrounded by outstanding episodes. Yeah, and as we've said, it's a, it's a very good season. There's a lot of great episodes. Now we, we just can't vote for them all. <laughs> True. Uh, Missing did not get any votes. Which is understandable, I think. Episode 8, The Seer. Original air date November 16, 2007. Written by Alan McCullough and directed by Andy Makita. And we have a fortune teller? A little bit more than that. Yeah. Mainly because what he says does come true. <laughs> yeah, he's actually legit, even though uh, the man of science can't really predict why or how. We get Woolsey back, performing a three-month evaluation on Colonel Carter and her ability to lead. Yeah. That's insulting. That is just plain insulting, that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bureaucracy, though. What are you going to do about it? But to have him just follow you around and, and write down every, yeah. <laughs> everything you do right What wrong. are you writing? Don't worry about it. Yeah. You make a decision. What can I have for my lunch? I'll have the lasagna. And he starts writing something down. What are you writing? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> okay, send a jumper out to retrieve him. Raised eyebrow, writing something down. <laughs> oh, what now? <laughs> no, we go off-world and see the seer. And he knows that they've come. Oh, yeah, they stepped through the gate. You've been expected. Uh, okay. <laughs> we didn't even know we were coming here until about an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Taylor wants to use him to try and find out what happened to her people. Yeah, that's right. The Seer is played by Martin Jarvis, a very well-known British actor. Christopher Heidel is in the episode as well. Just we get Todd. Rodney gets a vision of being... Ambushed, but they go anyway. Yeah, they go anyway, because we know it's a trap, so we can be prepared. Of course... The vision was perfectly accurate, but it didn't tell the whole story. And that you've got to remember for every vision in this episode. Yeah. What you see is not necessarily the whole story. So when they see Atlantis being destroyed, yes, be concerned. Yeah. But don't assume that is gospel. That's a callback to Jonas in SG1 where he was getting the visions as well. And although you see what you think is going to happen, context, how you react to that vision is definitely a big part of it. Unfortunately, they can't save him. His illness is a little too far gone. Taylor confides in him, but obviously he knows. <laughs> Perhaps one of the 
best things about this is that this is where Sam finally realises she belongs here. The galaxy is at a crossroads. What happens now, the single decisions people are going to make right now, will decide the fate of everybody in this galaxy. Yeah, that's right. Pod explains that Asurians are heading out and destroying worlds, human worlds. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Seer did not get any votes. In episode 9, Miller's Crossing. First aired November the 30th, 2007. Written by Martin Garrow, directed by Andy Makita. We get the return of Jeannie Miller. 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 <laughs> Idiot. Miller. The... I'm thinking of what's the surname. It's in the title. The return of Jeannie Miller, played by Kate Hewitt. Actually, this episode is full of guest stars. Brendan Gore is back as her husband. Stephen Cook makes an appearance in the episode. Peter Fleming returns as Agent Barrett, as well as uh, a lot of the semi-regulars return. Mm. Gary Jones, David Nichol, Chris Heidel again as Todd. This episode probably did cost a little bit of money, if only for on-screen talent. Jeannie is uh, settling down for a good night's sleep when a bunch of masked men burst in, complete with uh, laser scopes and automatic weaponry, and she's kidnapped. Kind of a lure to get Rodney back to Earth. Mm. Someone else that's been doing research for SGC has decided to go there. Henry Wallace, the head of a biotech company, uh, Devlin Medical. His daughter is, I think, is she at this point got an incurable disease, cancer or something. Yeah, I think it's leukaemia. He's definitely going to die, but he has had access to uh, nanite technology. Obviously, he's put two and two together. He's figured out that something's going on, reprogrammed the nanite so they can actually cure his daughter. Mm. Yeah, because they tried treating her with the experimental uh, prototype nanites and it hadn't worked. So he wanted McKay to, to try and reprogram him. That's the strange thing about Wallace. You know, he has got a little bit of integrity. Mm. Not a lot. And obviously he's desperate. But I think when he kidnapped him, he was on the level. You save my daughter, I'll let you go. Yeah. I will take the consequences because my daughter will be alive. Yeah. If he ends up in jail, that's a fair trade. He goes off the deep end a bit when, in many ways, it's McKay who doesn't... He doesn't want to play ball. ...tries to escape. He actually gives him the idea, you know. There's no incentive for him, really. You know, you're promising us to let us go. You may let us go, you may not. Yeah. Where's their incentive? So he basically just injects Genie with nanites, exactly the same that's in the girl. Turns into the supervillain. Yeah. And at that point, you know, he ain't going to survive. Yeah. He's overstepped the bounds of another show, a darker show. Who knows? He might have got away with it, you know. Either just locked up or escaped. Not in Stargate. No, because we have a pot on the base. <laughs> He didn't feed before he went there. Or so he claims. Yeah. Yeah, as it turns out, they find the cure. They, well, they don't find the cure. They program the nanites. They work. They cure the girl. But then she dies. Yeah. The programming, while it's efficient, it's not fully developed enough. The nanites don't understand that cure this, don't do anything else. They went for the next issue. And unfortunately, the only way to save Jeannie is to give the nanite something to do before they do anything <laughs> drastic. Yes, because she has epilepsy. Yeah, I broke her legs. Yeah. Now, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got Todd working on uh, the code as well. He claims to be very hungry. Obviously, they, we're not going to feed you. We're not going to you know, give anybody just to sacrifice anybody. But without Todd, they will not get a cure in time to save Jeannie. Mm. And that's where John comes in. He has a quiet word with Henry. And while he doesn't categorically state, sacrifice your life because it's the right thing to do, he words it so that is exactly what he's saying. And he knows Wallace has that streak of integrity and that he knows he's feeling guilty. His life's finished, his daughter's dead, his company's going to be taken away from him. 
he's going to spend the rest of his life in maximum security. Yeah, deep dark hole. Yeah, he will never be allowed out. He could talk. Yep. So they take him to Todd. It all happens behind closed doors. McKay is shocked, mm. even though obviously it benefits him immensely. Then Todd, oh, I've got it. I've finished it. And you're left with that question mark. Had he finished it beforehand and you were just gonna he just wanted to eat somebody? He would he just wanted to taste the local produce. Yeah, or put John in that position where they had to do it. Yeah. Almost as bad. It it's like I'm a prisoner, I'm gonna manipulate you into sacrificing one of your own. Gave us a fitting end to a bloody good episode. And he won't be returning again. It's only got two votes. That's not bad though. Considering it's a nerf, normally the earth being episodes more normally the weaker of the season. Okie dokie. This Mortal Coil, episode 10 of season 4, original air date December 7th, 2007, written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully, and directed by Will Waring. We only had to wait two episodes to see the letters get destroyed. Um, <laughs> and again, it's a bit more of that mystery-like crash drone in the Lantis that looks to be replicators that found us. Although... Yeah, they played that well. Yeah. You knew something was wrong. People weren't acting right. First... Major Lorne, he wasn't acting quite right. Keller wasn't acting quite right. And then you got them together like pod people. Yeah, and Zelenka kept trying to keep Rodney at bay. Yeah, distracting from everything. When they finally, you know, the group try to get to the infirmary. Oh, John John actually goes for a scan, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and been infected by uh, nanites because he, he has a cut or something. Him and Ronan. Oh, he's, yeah, that's right, his head. He's got blood on the rag, and by the time he gets there, it's completely healed. So he, uh, he thinks the Eratus bug DNA is kicking back in. That's a nice touch. That was just to turn the monitor slightly away so he couldn't see it. Yeah. Perfectly okay. <laughs> Run it again. They grab Rodney, cut his hand open. He's in full panic mode, yeah. and it heals in front of his eyes. And that's when they hijack the city scanners and detect that. No one. <laughs> well, Even those people walking around. They detect one life form, don't they? Oh, yeah. On one of the peers. We also get the explanation the gate's been down for a week or so, or how many days. Um, no one's seen any stars at night. There's been pretty much dense fog or cloud cover. <laughs> and we find Elizabeth. Another one. Another one, yeah. They're all replicators. Mm, but not bad ones. No, not bad ones. We're good replicators. We're we're seeking ascension. We've run away from Oberoth, and so we created you. Yeah. You're replicators, yes, but you are organic material made from... Blood and bone. Yeah, whereas the rest of them are made up of nanites. The nanites in them have actually created skin and bone, and that's why they showed up on the life scan. Mm. Yeah, the city only had five people. By studying them, they hope to find out how they can ascend. Yeah. Whenever they discover they're not human, they reset them and start again. <laughs> over and over again. And, of course, all the power from the ZPM went into making them, so leaves the city underpowered. And they're found by Oberoth. Yeah, very expensive CGI sequence. I've seen before. Yes. Oh, they leave smartly on the back of a warship in a puddle jumper. Yeah, cloak jumper up into orbit, clamp onto uh, one of the Asauran. Yeah, it's sort of decked out like a uh, puddle jumper drive pods on each side and lure them there and sacrifice themselves. Roan does like the fact that he's got a copy of himself in front of him. He just wants to yeah, fight him. we're almost forgetting. They meet each other. Yeah, they send out a message to say, we're not you, we're you. It was always a delight to see Rodney and Rodney together. <laughs> they hit it off straight away. Yep. Replicator ships guarding the gate and they can't escape. So uh, they sacrifice themselves to lead them away, or John does at least. That's right. 
when they finally get back to Atlantis, they hook up the uh, new tech, start uh, the scanning. Oh, one ship, two ships. Oh, yeah. going to be so bad, is it? Yeah. Three ships, four ships. And a beautiful touch. The episode fades to black. And then you hear all these beeps and, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they're saying he's 30 to 40 ships. Yeah, you just get that five or six more beeps and then, oh, crap. <laughs> they have been busy. Yep, they have. Enjoyed this one. It's only got one vote, though. Oh, I wonder if they'll uh, hold over for the next one. Might do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. Hi, I'm Nuke Chas, the host of Nutty Bites. And hi, I'm Tech, Nutty's regular guest. Or antagonist. Our podcast is like a call-in show where geeks get to debate topics about speculative fiction. We don't really debate. Sure we do. We debate topics such as lame superpowers, the best villains, and our favorite apocalypses. We more of like rant, rave, and then have massive nerd rages. People call in from all over the world, sometimes minor celebrities, and we've even had some supervillains show up. Do you ever notice that you never have any superheroes or good guys? I'm a good guy. Compared to what? Antagonist. Not really a guest. Matty Bites. Nimwast.org. Episode 11. Be All My Sins Remembered. This aired January the 4th, 2008, so roughly a month after the uh, mid-season finale. Written by Martin Garrow and directed by Andy Makita. A lot of uh, guest stars in this episode. Michael Beach, Mitch Pileggi... Michelle Morgan, Jill Wagner, two Todds. <laughs> Brendan Perry played Todd, and Christopher Ju- Christopher Ju- Christopher Heidel uh, provided the voiceover. Oh, yeah, yep. So, in this episode... Oh, dear. Yeah. Where, where do we start? <laughs> a lot happened. Okay, there's a whole galaxy full of Asauran ships destroying human populations. The Wraith have a vested interest in stopping this. The Atlanteans have a vested interest in stopping this. The Travellers, they have a lot of ships. Uh, Wraith... Travellers and Atlanteans, a huge fleet is put together with the intent of attacking the Asauran homeworld. We get the Apollo and Daedalus running uh, black op missions to take out replicator warships. Yep, armed with the uh, Asgard beam weapons. Yeah, and they do quite well. Yeah, till the Asaurans finally decide that perhaps flying around the, the galaxy willy-nilly is not good tactic. Yeah, and that's what sort of leads to the plan. They all fall back to the homeworld. They're all in one place, so to speak, and uh, Rodney, with the assistance of being helped by Colonel Ellis, devises a plan <laughs> to turn them into a blob monster. Yeah, he has the idea, instead of trying to blow the nanites apart, force them to attract each other. Yeah, increase the attraction between individual cells. If you can do it fast enough, they will lose their ability to actually act upon themselves, pretty much become inert. Yep. So all they have to do is... All they have to do. <laughs> yeah, it sounds simple. Attack the Asauran star system, destroy as many ships in orbit, while a group of, well, Rodney, Ronan, and some uh, Marines beam down to the city, start the process to destroy the Asaurans with the help of a human form replicator. Friend. Played by Michelle Morgan. And obviously, Rodney's not going to create a female human form replicator. That looks plain. <laughs> they have a lot of trouble with it. He's eager. Yeah. To kill as many replicators as you can. It's her function. Yeah. Throw it off a couple of times and have discussions. You do realise why you're made. That's my purpose. Yeah. I will only get fulfilment if I'm able to do what I'm supposed to do. And she just beams down. Oh, this is nice. Happy. Big smile on her face. Walks into the room with the replicators. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Closes her eyes and that's the beginning of the end. 
slowly but surely every replicator block every replicator cell is drawn into the mass it gets bigger and bigger so big in fact it actually gets that dense it collapses the ground beneath it and starts sinking into the planet the original plan was to create an overload in the zpms but they can't do it anymore so they beam a warhead <laughs> replicated godzilla <laughs> and we get a planet they can uh, remove from the the planet database yep yep uh, as the planet core is going up we see a number of ships jump out the last one to leave is a, a raid hive ship hangs around a bit late planet's destroyed the all the ships have left the camera slowly travels into the debris field and right at the heart is aurora class warship mm. we go into the bridge we see people's feet we hear a voice we hear another voice which sounds awfully familiar pans up it's dr elizabeth weird decked out in black and red yeah, killed an alligator somewhere. <laughs> but this this was a big one because they never... Did they hold off on her in the opening credits? Yes, they did. Yeah, it, was... it would have been interesting. We'd have seen more of them. Yeah, sort of something dropped for later episodes. Yeah, they don't really come back or we see them once more. Okay, be all my sins remembered. Six votes. One of those was mine. I think it just ticks most of the boxes. Yeah. Mass there, big space battle. McKay doing his uh, evil scientist and making Fran, uh, all the stuff down on the planet, trying to get the ships together. We get captured once again by the 13 or 14 ships committed and only seven turn up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. All come together in a great episode. This episode did get nominated, another nomination for a Gemini. Best visual effects. <laughs> no surprise there. So again, what the <laughs> hell won it? Come <laughs> Episode 12, Spoils of War, originally date January 11th, 2008, written by Alan McCulloch and directed by Will Waring. Again, they've uh, earned their money this season. We learned that last grave hive ship that remained around the Assyrian homeworld was there for a purpose. Todd sent down some scouts to steal some ZPMs. Clever Todd. Yes, Clever Todd. Why didn't we do that? <laughs> You're about to lose the one place in the, in the galaxy that can regularly create them. Yeah, but anyway... We also learn that um, Super Wraith cloning facility, how they won the war, they couldn't, I'm lost. Todd's captured two ZPMs. He needs a ZPM's power cloning facility. Yeah. As they said, right from the word go, the Alterans, the ancients, if you will, lost the war. It was simply a numbers game. There was too many Wraith. While the uh, humans had the higher technology, you know, their ships one and one easily, easily beat the Wraith cruisers. There simply were too many of them. Yeah. And this is why. They cheated. Basically, it's a war commodity, isn't it? It's mm. a resource. They were able to capture ZPMs, capturing the ships, getting the ZPMs, designing the facility. A Wraith Queen provides the source material for the drones. When they perfect a drone, then they clone him. Thousands at a time. It was said that this could have been the secret that the Aurora was returning to Atlantis with. Mm. You know, the game changer in the war. If this facility could have been changed at the height of the war, destroyed during the height of the war then uh, who knows the wraith could very well have lost yeah which probably suggests that it's the only one in existence although you would have thought so yeah if there was a later story i'm sure there'd be more than one yeah but get the feeling that this was while the wraith made up of individual hives during the war they came together and i think it wouldn't surprise me if agreement was reached that they'd all build this facility and it could only ever be used to serve the wraith as a whole yeah pull their resources yeah no one hive could could gain access to this. Although one queen run it. Well, maybe at that time, either she was 
she just lost a hive, or maybe she she was one of the strongest queens around there. Yeah. Andy Frizzle returns as the Wraith Queen. It's always interesting to see how uh, she's made up. Always looks different. Yeah, with Taylor trying to mind meld with the Queen. She's always been able to control Wraith tech because of the experiments that were done to her family line. Mm. The addition of the baby, the extra stem cells, I suppose, doubled, tripled, quadrupled her ability to do it. It's stretching the science a bit, I know, but let's go with it. Mm. When she finally tries to take direct control of the Wraith Queen, beautiful little sequence. Solid green tint, spooky, it's all in your face. Andy being wickedly nasty. She does play her role pretty good. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant, you know. I'll get through, I'll kill you, and I'll kill your baby as well. <laughs> On the planet, you know, the, the Wraith Queen is walking around like a little Thunderbird puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very nice sequence, even to the point where she lets him out. McCabe wants to get directions. This was the episode where Todd escapes after being captured. Yeah, McCabe plans to overload the ZPMs to blow up the facility. It says here they can't find them, which is Todd took them, but... I thought it was the amount of times they try to use the ZPMs to blow up and they have to use all of them to do the job, sort of blending in here. But no, they're going to kamikaze and we get a great shot of Plow and head first into the facility. Yeah, certainly wiped out the uh, cloning facility. Mm. Wiped out half the planet, I would imagine. Yeah. As they said, they didn't have enough money to really do the explosion justice. Yeah. Pretty good episode, though, that is. Pretty good indeed. Which was disappointing because it didn't get any votes. Oh. Handy little note here, this brave ship being destroyed is the 14th the team's destroyed since arrived in the galaxy. No wonder they don't like him. I would have thought there'd be more than that, but, but then again, we, we know there's like 60 plus ships, so we've made a little bit of a dent. Contraya! Episode 13, Quarantine. Uh, this episode aired January the 18th, 2008, written by Carl Binder and directed by Martin Wood. The city goes on lockdown when the computer system detects an outbreak of a virus. As it turns out, it's a bit of a red herring. There's nothing really wrong with it. The system's been compromised by Rodney and then compromised again by, I think, some uh, solar activity. Makes the senses too sensitive. Lots of rooms with two people in. So we get Ronan and Jennifer, Sam and Radek, Katie and Rodney. <laughs> Rodney's... Oh, dear, Rod. Uh, poor man. Rodney's going to propose. Okay, maybe he was a bit distracted by the cactus, which is much big, much bigger. And Katie does get rather suggestive with it, I have to be honest. How they kept a straight face when she was doing that. Oh, I wonder how many takes it took. <laughs> Rodney's planning to propose. He's got the ring and everything. He thinks he's going to die. There's a virus loose. It's going to kill them all. I don't know. Depressive? Depressive? Not depressive. Mm, anxiety. His own belief that something's always going to go wrong jumps into high gear. He totally hamstrings his own relationship with her. Yeah. After all this, oh, when it's all said and done, I was going to propose to you, but I'm not now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, it's going too fast. You know, it's almost, can we just be friends? Yeah. And, you know, Katie being Katie, okay, yeah, okay. To her, that's, we're done. You know, we're, we're just friends. When someone tells you they're going to propose and they've changed their mind, that's not good for any relationship. No. And unfortunately, it is the last time we see Katie as well. Yeah, she puts in a transfer back to her. And it's interesting, I wonder if they'd already decided right there and then the re the relationship they wanted to go ahead with. Yeah. And so they had to get rid of Katie. Pity, though. She was a nice character. Yeah, she did put up with a lot. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, we get the introduction of uh, Amelia Banks as well, played by Sharon Taylor, although this is a second appearance on the show. She was a replicator yep. in an earlier episode. 
Yeah, we get uh, Carter and Zelenka stuck in a transporter. Yes, and Zelenka takes the opportunity to get a quick eyefall as well. Uh, and uh, and tells his pigeon story. Oh, yeah. Ronan, Jennifer, smooch a bit. Yeah, Ronan's not one to <laughs> locked in a room. Yeah, he, he tries his best to wreck the place. He, he wrecks it. He doesn't get out. Do you have any C4 line about? No. <laughs> this is the infirmary. <laughs> I've got some gas canisters. That'll do. Yes, let's, let's do it. Jaws. Yeah. This was a fun episode, again, because more because of the parts and the whole. Although, truth be told, watching Zelenka do his diehard impression was hilarious. <laughs> Face first. Especially when he ended up having to go vertically down a chute and he just let gravity do its work. Yeah. I don't think that vent he crashed through would have slowed his fall much. But we also get John scaling the tower somehow. Uh, yeah, that that wasn't good. Nice idea, but they didn't quite have the budget to do the CGI to the max. I'll admit, I was on edge the first time I've seen it. Yeah, but well, come on, you knew he wasn't going to fall. Uh, if he had gear to do it with, that would have made more sense. Mm. Overall, not a bad episode at all. Some very good moments in it. McKay's password... <laughs> 1643, 1879, 1968, and 42, and the explanation behind it, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Zelenka, champion, saved the day. Interesting, Jennifer and Ronan kissing. I think that was just circumstance. Well, that's it, the um, the self-destruct start. Gone, so they really think that, and that really sends McKay over, and I don't know if it's Jeopard or Lorne, asks his chuck, deactivate, and he said, no, I just turned the alarm off. Turned the alarm off. Yeah. <laughs> We know the self-destruct's active, we just don't know when. It could blow up at any second. Right, quarantine. No votes. No votes. This is the Emperor. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Come grab a table, pull up a chair at the Sci-Fi Diner, where the food is always hot and your hosts are, well, out of this world. Sample some geeky trivia. You, our listeners, need to tell us what uh, Star Trek series did Tony Amendola guest star in. Dine with celebrity guests. Hi, this is LeVar Burton from Roots, Star Trek The Next Generation. This is Laurie Holden from The Walking Dead. And rub shoulders with the locals. This is Floyd of Aurora, Colorado. Hi, this is Rick from Montana. And get it to go with the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Top 5 movies, one scene, cannot be unseen. All served up at SciFiDinerPodcast.com. Serving up science fiction from here to the end of the universe. Episode 14, Harmony. Originally date January 25th, 2008. Written by Martin Gero and directed by Will Waring. The team's required to escort a young princess named Harmony to some ruins in the forest where she'll become queen. And uh, hilarity ensues. I mean, Rodney and John, they've gone there for one reason, the two princesses. <laughs> Alexis, Kellum, Creer, and Crystal Lowe. Lawyer in uh, Science Shield and Delivered. Fantastic in that. Great outfits, costuming department, went to town here. In fact, the whole castle set, it looks fantastic. Yeah, it looks a lot better than the tower. Not as fruity. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, they were very dandyish, weren't they, in the tower? Yeah. But again, and it's not just Atlantis, it's pretty much any a movie set in the time. The women are always bustier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rodney and John, you know why they're there. Yeah. There probably were 20 or 30 volunteers for this mission. John, I'm in charge. And Rodney, John, me, me. Come on, Rodney. And then, of course, one of the princesses comes up. Oh, our, our younger sister needs a bit of help. She's very beautiful. Rodney, 
Debs. <laughs> Debs. <laughs> uh, she's 13. <laughs> yeah, Jodel Ferland. We've seen her before in Stargate. She played a young Adria, currently starring in Dark Matter as five. Excellent actress. Uh, I've seen her in lots of stuff. We learn that Mardala is very, very annoyed by it. Yeah. Flora doesn't mind at all. Well, they're still raw family, so it's not... Yeah, they get all the benefits, but none of the drawbacks. They don't have to run the country. Yeah. They're not going to have to... Uh, pitchfork. You know, yeah. <laughs> not going to have to sit in judgment of anybody. They, mm. you know, they can enjoy life. The twist in it is that there are Janai mercenaries, we believe, not official soldiers of the Janai uh, people. And that we're told. Yeah. I don't think it matters for the story if they are or not. No. Although Landon has dealt fairly with Atlantis. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Either way, the Janai are in the woods. They're going to try to stop her from getting to this location. The ruins of Laris. Running battles. Patrick Gilmore appears as a Janai soldier before he goes on to Stargate Universe as a Dr. Volker. He gets shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair, very few of the Janai actually survived this episode. Mm. Which is interesting <laughs> because they're there. They previous queen had banished them after doing shoddy deals. Yeah. The sisters want to open trading back up with the Janai, and uh, they'll do it if they uh, kill Harmony, if they're queen. Yeah, off through the bush they stomp. Harmony annoying McKay, getting a little bit more uh, frazzled as they go along. Oh, yeah. Harmony, right from the word go, is huge crush on John. Yeah. You know, he's everything she wants. You know, he'd make a, he's going to make a great husband in a few years. You'll be king. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter that, you know, she'll be 16 and he'll be, I don't know, what, nearly 40 by that time. Yeah, bit, bit of a gap. Yeah. And we hear... They don't sound like the other drones, do they? I thought we heard, we heard them at one point, and they actually... It's, I imagine it's scale, you know, the yeah. uh, tone of the whatever's powering them. But yeah, they get to the ruins, and we find out it's a testing place for mini drones. The ancients are working on... Another ruin that doesn't look like it's been... Well, it's been, it looks like it's been more than 10,000 years. Yeah. Yet the ancient built pedestal in the middle is still sitting there and functions. <laughs> the ancients, bunch of arrogant bastards. They were. Mm. I'm sorry, but they are. They were. But they knew how to build. Yep. And the <laughs> Jedi been fiddling around the device, so when, uh, when Harmony's crystal around her neck, which is the activation key, it doesn't work. So Rodney has to, <laughs> under gunfire, fix it. Yep. When they come under heavy fire, John decides that anybody with a gene can activate it. So he grabs a necklace, runs out. McKay saves Harmony's life. <laughs> she suddenly becomes totally fixated on him. He's the hero of the day when uh, the Janai are finally defeated. Yep. And they make it back to the castle. Harmony's uh, crowned queen. In their first major kind of pronouncement, she proclaims Rodney a hero <laughs> and unveils the great portrait. That is, that's awesome. <laughs> it is, yep. Yeah. Rodney, P90 in hand, snarl on his face, John cowering at his feet. Hands up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I don't think John was going to make his life very easy. No. A fun episode. Mm, it is a good fun one. It was. Harmony, it got three votes. Mm. Respectable. Yeah. Come try ya. Episode 15, Outcast. First aired February the 1st, 2008. This was a story by Joe Flanagan, written by Alan McCullough, and directed by Andy Makita. Uh, this is an episode that's predominantly based on Earth. Yeah, it's an Earth-based episode. Yep, John has to return because his father's passed away. And Ronan goes with him, for some reason. Mm. Probably the free food at the wake. <laughs> <laughs> because when he goes to the buffet, is this free? Yes, go ahead. I'm sure they don't have to pay at the Atlantis canteen. 
he'd liked what he'd seen when he was back there for uh, Mills Crossing, so he wanted to go back. Maybe, yeah. It could be as simple as that. I want to, I want to see a bit more of your planet. Although I don't think he was a fan of the suit. <laughs> yeah, we learn a bit more backstory. Shepard's not only smart, but his family's rich. Very. Yeah. You say he's the black sheep, but he's gone on to an illustrious military career, a decorated pilot running a super secret project, you know, it's and it's only now we see that there may be some reconciliation with his brother, mm. played by Dylan Neal, a very familiar face, Arrow, which he was on last season, and Cedar Cove. It just seems more the father was disgruntled because Shepard wanted to go off and join the military and not either follow in his footsteps or go into business. Yeah, his brother Dave followed in his father's footsteps. He was in the executive board of the company anyway. Mm. And he basically said, oh, you've come back. Are you after the money? You know, I think that probably hurt John a little. Yeah. But the main twist of this episode is that somebody's been keeping an eye on them. They've got reports and newspaper articles about the last time they visited Earth. And it appears a a young woman, Ava Dixon, and she approaches him at, at the wake and reveals the fact that she's been working on a project with human form replicators. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. What is it about the human race? Yeah, we've got this replicator running around. He's immune to the anti-replicator guns because that was a smart idea. Yeah, the one thing that can kill him. Yeah, The replicator do, pretty much does a number on everybody that they send, including his creator, who he kills. As it turns out, though, Ava, she's a replicator as well. Hmm. She's the friendly one. Yeah, lucky for them because when they're getting their arse kicked, she runs in and she puts Mac down on him. And then they uh, they boom him out to space or low, or, low or, Earth or, orbit. A little bit of friction and he burns up. That's one way to get rid of him. But what to do about Ava? Somewhere in the world, there's a uh, vast resource of virtual reality. Yeah. I mean, where? I assume they, they salvaged some of it from uh, an ancient facility at some point. Yeah. And they got took it to Earth. They must have done. It, yeah, it has to be from the Aurora mission. Maybe. But then again, perhaps all Aurora-class ships have got it. Yeah, but then whenever we had access to, I suppose we had access to the uh, Therno, Tyrannons or whatever they were before they were... it for a week, so... Yeah, yeah, they might have <laughs> back when engineered something out of that, but... We'll never use them pods, take them out, you know. Yeah, even though I'm pretty sure at that point they'll just try to get it working instead of worrying about all that sort of stuff. You can have shields or weapons, but not both. <laughs> weapons. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm flying this. Weapons. But then you could you could tell that you're uploading her to a virtual reality and just upload it to a thumb drive and stand on it. There, go, there goes that problem. Yeah. Although it, it really it's artificial intelligence, really. So you, you sort of you got to be careful what you put it into. Could you ever be sure? Yeah. <laughs> you'd, yeah. you'd always have that niggling little dart. You step on it and then the phone rings and nobody's there. Yeah. I know what you did. <laughs> By the way, you were signed into uh, the the cloud at the time. Yeah. And Gynet is born. Yeah, or Ultron. One of them, either way. They both use the same plot yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Escape on the internet. Right, Outcast. It got two votes. Interesting. I'd see that as, I'd say this one is probably the worst for the season. So I don't think I've watched it once since aired, I think. Right. Mm. Earth-based episodes is normally one per season. They're not, not normally the best. Mills Crossing sort of done a few things better. It's, it's not saying it's a bad episode, again, because there's so many good ones. Episode 16, Trio, air date February 8th, 2008, written by Martin Guerrero and directed by Martin Wood. They're on a mission, Heller, McKay and Carter evacuate a planet because of some uh, serious earthquakes and they fall through a hole in the ground. 
the bus begins. What should be the cheapest episode but turns into being quite expensive. I won't say it's a bad episode because it's not a bad episode. There's plenty wrong with it. The whole idea of Atlantis in the position they are, giving them monkeys about these few thousand people on this primitive planet who, when they are told, you are in serious danger, expect to be paid for the privilege of being rescued. Yeah. I would tell them to go themselves. It's the whole prime directive thing. Yeah. There's never... You should move. Ten miles over that direction, you'll be fine. Look, the, the river flows there, just move. And it's the same as going back to Travellers. Planet John was going to, Rodney says, the technology level was mud huts and blow darts. <laughs> yeah. Why are you there studying them or whatever, whatever else? You know, anthropology mission is fine, but you've got more important things to be getting on with. Yeah. And why didn't they take a jumper? That jumper could have scanned the ground and said, hey, there's a starting great cavity two feet under that field. Mm. Yeah, that might be a bit where we should tell them not to go to. But anyway, off they are. They're all happy. They're walking across a field. A hole appears. Sam, is it Sam goes down first? Yeah. And the other two are looking over the edge. Then they go down as well. You know, when I go near a cliff and it looks a bit rough, I don't go right to the edge and peer over. Yeah. That's even in the river here. Water undermines bank. You don't go near a bank. Yeah, so all three of them are down in this huge cavern. It turns out it's a mining complex, Jani mining complex. There doesn't seem to be any way out. There's a big red door, but red means danger. Rodney suggests making a rope out of the clothes. Keller's all for the idea. She gets the shirt halfway off before... <laughs> she realises what Rodney's doing. <laughs> Rodney looks crestfallen. They come up with some wonderful ideas. This would have been perfect time for a MacGyver joke if they hadn't already done it. Yeah. Grappling hook, harpoons, building Lego sets out of old uh, packing crates. Yeah. <laughs> Jenga. Yeah. Amanda is was terrified of heights in this. She did not like standing on the boxes one bit, even though she was wired up. Yep. Uh, I think they said in the commentary at one point she lost it, you know, totally panicked. But I'll be in the trailer. That was pretty much it, yeah. yeah. And at one point she just simply couldn't do it. Some The fall, excellent piece of stunt work. It looked vicious, it really did. Mm. Perhaps because of all the debris and the dust and everything, the fact that the packing crates, crates broke so easily, it just looked good. Yeah. A couple of the local lads <laughs> peered down the hole. We're not supposed to be here. Yeah, call for help. We're not supposed to be here, so we're not going to call for help. Show them your boobs. No. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. No. <laughs> Trust me. Oh, Rodney. Yeah, they climb down a huge rope. Keller uh, sees a, a glimpse of light. There's an opening in the wall. McKay is holding on for grim death. His hands are being ripped to reds. He managed to get... Laura and both Dan Carter's got his brain. Yep. It's all McKay to beat a muscle, even though his hands don't like it. He comes through. He, it works out. The lad did good. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first glimpses of chemistry between Rodney and Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. From her, more than him. Yeah, once they get back to the infirmary. Come on, a couple of weeks back, you're feeling Ronan's muscles, and you're going, hmm, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and now now you're making the doe eyes at Rodney. Yeah, again, must be the life and death. It must be. It must get her going. Mm. Whatever man's present, he's the one. So don't be stuck in a jumper next week with Major Lorne or... Yeah, you will get a reputation. <laughs> Another episode that pales, there's some brilliant episodes around it. But it was clever, it was well made. As Brad says, it was originally going to be one of the cheapest episodes of the season. It turned out to be one of the most expensive episodes of the series. It just got very, very complicated to do. Lots and lots of logistics to make this work. Because they're in such a tight space and so much CGI work had to be done. You think, CGI, why? Because all the wires had to be painted out. 
you think about it, as they were hanging there, as they were building the crates up time out, it was all wire work. Should have turned out to be in a simple episode, turned out to be an actual nightmare. Mm. It did, however, get nominated for a craft award for direction for Martin Wood. Another nomination, but no win. Four votes, though. Mm. A lot of people liked it. Yep. We do get confirmation that Katie Brown had left Atlantis in this episode. Yeah, and uh, they tell Rodney that uh, saying you want the wedding off for a while is pretty much saying it's over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> yeah, this episode I did with uh, a guy I used to work with, Philip, mm. was recorded uh, January 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, two years ago, a year and a half. So, like I say, this was one episode he liked. He just watched Atlantis. I'd got him to watch it. And I asked him, do you want to record an episode with me? And this is the episode he picked. Yep. Come try ya! Episode 17. 1st of February the 15th, 2008. Written by Carl Binder. Directed by Andy Makita. Midway. Mm-hmm. Christopher Judge. Ben Cotton. Bill Dow. Rob LaBelle. Ronan Silk. No jello, I'm afraid. No. But lots of testosterone. Mm. They did not like each other. No, I was surprised how they wrote Ronan for this episode. The fact that people who he respects, and I wonder if that's it. He still doesn't trust Sam. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. Because the suggestion came from her. If it had come from John, he would have been more appreciative. Open to it? Maybe, yeah. Especially if, he, if he'd shown him some of the mission reports and things that Tilk have done. He might have been impressed. And, yeah, I wonder if it's a case if he just doesn't know who Tilk is or what he's accomplished or... Yeah. Or he's just seen him as someone to come and tell me. He's got no respect for him because he doesn't know him. Yeah, yeah. He's just going to come and tell yeah. me how to deal with someone when I could deal with him in my own way, which learn probably isn't the best way. Yeah, he'll just sit down and starts eating his old steak. Five minutes later, Ronan's ready to kill him. Pull the gun out. At his forehead until she's sitting there. And of course, Shepard sees the opportunity. Why don't you go down and show him the gym? Yeah, money would change your hands like nobody's business ah, yes. until Carter comes in. The old Pegasus dollars. Tries to put an end to it. Yeah. That's enough. So they throw the weapons down. Hand to hand. Been going on for over an hour now. <laughs> yeah, this is basically because Ronan has to go and meet the new IOA representative, played by Rob LaBelle, and get an interview. So I think the IOA are kind of just getting a little bit paranoid how many aliens uh, have influence over the SEC, even though the ones they have embraced have done nothing but bring credit to themselves. Yeah, and they've already conducted the interview with Taylor. <laughs> Dislikes of men immensely. Very condescending, very low opinion of women. Oh, you're pregnant. You obviously, you'll be going to your husband and leaving the service anyway, so I don't have to worry about you. Calling me honey. <laughs> Funnily enough, I watched an episode of Star Trek original series at the weekend. Captain Kirk and Bones were talking about a woman. And they said, they said, oh, it'll be a shame to lose her when she gets married. And goes on to do, you know, normal womanly things. She, she would, of course, leave the service and get married and have babies. It's exactly the same attitude now, and I'm sure that exists in real life. It's surprising that something that was so casual back in 1967, 68, was mirrored here in Stargate by, well, to be honest, he does come across as a bit of a dick when we meet him. Yeah. And he's obviously, he's not the norm in the IOA. Woolsey isn't like that. Woolsey pretty much has condescended to everybody. Well, he sees himself a step above everyone else. Yeah. Let's get to the meat of this episode. Mm. The Wraith actually hack into the Midway Station, the Intergalactic Bridge. Of course, because of uh, McKay's arrogance, there's no shield or anything on the base. Yeah, because they don't need it. They're completely secure. The Wraith, who have been around 
thousands of years, who defeated the ancients, could never break it. No. That's probably the worst part about this episode. They're, we've been so paranoid about security and protection for so long, they don't even consider putting an iris on Midway. Yeah. Or, I think, as you said, using the Alpha site. Yeah. Arrogance like on Rodney's part. And again, I suppose, the ILA, like, you spend making the investment to build this, well, let's just put a shield on. Yeah. No, because, of course, powerful technology can't hang around for too long. We do get a brilliant running battle mm. for the next, what, 20 minutes of the episode. It's guns and bullets everywhere. Yep, the Wraith do what many couldn't and infiltrate the base. Find that one ladder that goes up. Luckily, Roan and Tilk managed to get through the gate before it shuts down, so... Yeah. Meanwhile, back on the station, Kavanaugh faints, <laughs> and Dr. Lee does his best to try and babble around the head Wraith. Reinforcement starts coming through. It's all the control room, but obviously they left a little booby trap, which McKay is desperately trying to avoid. Yeah. And Kavanaugh going, I know how to fix this. I know to... Sure up, Kavanaugh. Sure up, we're busy. Yeah. I can fix this. Sure up. <laughs> Alarm stops. Beep, 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 beep. I fixed it. What did you do? Self-destruct. In many ways, it was Rodney's fault. He should have taken the time to tell him what he was doing. Yeah, we need to check the system to make sure it hasn't been booby-trapped or... <laughs> yeah. John, vent all the air, vent all the air. Mm, Sacrifice yeah. myself, like... Somehow, though, he managed to get into one of those huge <laughs> spacesuits by himself in the space of 30 seconds. An EVA suit. Yeah, we've seen SG-1 getting into them with help. Mm-hmm. Even in the Martian, they had to retcon and make a brand new sort of spacesuit just so they could do that one thing, quickly get in and out. <laughs> so it doesn't take hours to get into the suit, it takes minutes. For all its flaws, and there are flaws in Midway, it is a kick-ass episode. It nearly got my second vote. It <laughs> did get my vote. I did, yep. Yep, I voted for this one. Yep. A lot to do with the fact that they've got Tilk, I'll admit that. Yep. But the dynamic between him and Ronan is fantastic. The stunt work, the pyrotechnics, the armourers, everything about it is fantastic. I'm glad they had another IOA representative. I wouldn't have liked to see Woolsey in this position because I think he's gone past this now. Mm. Yeah, he needed some a new sniveling little toad in, in the position to yeah. do that. He did redeem himself a bit right at the end when he had Ronan in the meeting. You protect the Earth and the SGC and do all this for us. And Ronan goes, yes, good enough for me. Yep. <laughs> and in the end, they're, uh, they evacuate Midway and are left for eight days aboard the jumper. We did raise some issues with that in the episode. but There were issues, yes, there were. Yeah, Shepard <laughs> locks himself in the front. and It was probably the most comfortable. Yeah. I can imagine Rodney actually being in there in the first place and John walking in and telling Rodney to go and get him something. Out the door. Yep. <laughs> Rodney, if you try to open this door, I'll shoot you. Yeah, I'll vent all over the rear cargo. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll be able to explain it away as well. Although by then with Kevin uh, defending Michael Bay movies. I... Credit to whoever wrote that. I mean... Yeah. Right, midway, it got three votes. Hi, I'm Ian. And I'm Jonathan. And I'm Rem, inviting you to join us for the Sci-Fi Movie Podcast, a weekly review and exploration of the sci-fi movies that we all love. Ever wonder why Stanley Kubrick removed A Clockwork Orange from distribution in the UK? Why did Ridley Scott's Alien have no eyes? Or who's the better dread, Sylvester Stallone or Carl Urban? Judgment time. And why do I hate the fifth element so much? Uh, really? Don't even get me started. Follow us on Facebook at Sci-Fi Movie Podcast. The Sci-Fi Movie Podcast. Subscribe in iTunes or visit our website at scifimoviepodcast.com. Come try ya! The Kindred, Part 1, Air Date. February 22, 2008, written by Joseph Malozzi and directed by Peter F. West. 
Taylor's getting visions from her her baby daddy. <laughs> Yeah. First, we're seeing him burn, which was a interesting way to start the episode. He's uh, telling them, find us, find us. We're out there. Taylor, with the help of those visions, goes on a little bit of a quest to try and find her people. Yeah, an interesting start. Have we missed an episode? Yeah. And then, of course, oh, right. We were within a... Sold on the visions. Understandably, we've, we've seen a lot of that go south in the past. They find a trader selling merchandise, jewellery off the uh, missing Ephosian. So, a uh, bit of a sting operation. Yes, and it's up to Taylor to take him out. Yeah, with a but rather large... <laughs> yeah, convenient that he ran right past her, but yeah, I'm sure that an Atlantis team would have been able to secure him with minimum of force, but they had to have a little action sequence. Ooh, she's nasty when she wants to be. Yeah, even though she's pregnant. <laughs> Don't upset the pregnant lady. Whatever you do, got no sympathy for you. Mm. Let me show you what childbirth will feel like. He gives up the information where this burial ground is. Going to be seriously concerned. Yeah. It turns out, though, it's a trap. They yeah. were just waiting to get her onto this planet. We hear a dart, it comes flying over. This trader, he grabs her, and they get beamed up. That's a very elaborate plan. Yes. And we also have the uh, the side plot going on. There's a new illness striking the galaxy. It has a mortality rate of 50%, so half the people this thing is getting given to are dying, and it's, it's completely random. They have no idea what's going on, but they know it's the Hoffman drug. Must be Todd. Yeah, <laughs> of course, all of a sudden we're getting these substates. Someone wants to talk. Yeah, and it's just a question of, is there a middle ground? And they've both got bits of the puzzle. Compromises reached, information exchanged, off they go in the merry way again. Mm. Todd comes back with information that amongst the Wraith worshippers, there's chatter that a member of Atlantis is being kept prisoner. It must be Taylor. Yeah. Who else is missing? We have no one else MIA. They take the Daedalus, go to the planet, raid the place, run in battle... A cruiser jumps out to hyperspace, start firing on each other. One of the uh, defenders is injured, and he says, you're too early. Too early. He's on his way. <laughs> Michael is coming back with an important prisoner, so don't don't destroy the cruiser. Never to worry, because quite frankly, Daedalus couldn't hit the side of a barn at the moment. Yeah. The cruiser gets away, Michael gets away, Taylor's on board, she, they lose her. But they were guarding something important. Mm. These men were dying to protect this elf. So they shoot the lock off, walk inside, and... What's about bloody time? Yeah. Carson's there. Carson, who's dead? Thank God you're finally here. Where you been? To be continued. Yeah, to be continued. <laughs> Everybody watching that going, what the... That is brilliant when they can keep a secret like that. Mm. The Kindred, we got Gonitron here playing Michael. He returned again. He is going to be very important over the next coming season. Paul McGillian returned, of course. Patrick Sabonier made his reappearance in Stargate Atlantis, although as a different character. He's playing Canaan this time. Patrick at the moment is uh, guest starring on The Flash. Surprisingly, though, The Kindred Part 1 only got one vote. Ah, yeah, set-up episode. Normally, normally the case with the two-parters. The Kindred Part 2, February the 29th, 2009. Unusually, written by Alan McCullough, not the same writer, hmm. and directed by Martin Wood. Not the same director. Yeah, often the case they do use the same director or the same writers. It's unusual for both the writer and director to be different. Pretty much the same lineup of guest actors. The difference is that now they've got one Carson Beckett in Atlantis. He is Carson Beckett in every way, but he's a clone. Yeah. It takes a little while, but they conclusively prove to Carson that he's a clone. They've shown the signs. Mm. He doesn't doubt it for one bit. Rodney has been written to perfection. He doesn't care yep. if he's not the real Carson. His friend Carson Beckett is back with him. Mm-hmm friend that he knew just minus 
a year of what happens on Atlantis, which... And if you think about it, he missed Rodney making a fool of himself with Kate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bonus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he also missed the loss of Lee. Oh, yeah. Informed of. Again, Rodney's the one that accidentally let him know, but and there's some good scenes between them both. Yeah, they got a lot more information out of him just by casual conversation than they would have done if they actually sat him down. Yeah, get a bit more with Taylor and the baby. Michael, it seems to be his his goal to have the baby. Well, not to have the baby, but have the baby to help control the hybrids a bit better. Anyway, they have the location of Taylor is going to be. They manage to get to the planet. They infiltrate the warehouse. A huge firefight. Magnificent firefight. Carson sees Taylor. Yeah. Because she's being led off. Michael's going to jump in his cruiser and do a runner. He actually intervenes, gets his 9mm out, points it at Michael, doesn't pull the trigger. Taylor's going, shoot him, shoot him. Oh, bloodthirsty Taylor. Go, yeah, shoot him, shoot him. But he can't because Michael has rather cleverly made sure that every creature he creates is subservient to him. Uh, Killed by my creation. Yep, handy that is. That's why you hand the gun to the person beside you that isn't under that mind control and say, here, do it. (laughs) You promise you're not going to shoot him? No, I won't shoot him. There you go then. Job done. No, Funnily don't. enough, though, Michael only stuns Carson instead yeah. of killing him. Even though he's outfitted his purpose, you'd think he'd want to pipe that loose end. But then again, Michael, all the terrible things he's done, it's always had a purpose. Killing Beckett there would not have achieved anything. Just stunning him served the purpose. Yeah. And I think, ultimately, as he says, I didn't want any of this. You made me into this. Mm. I didn't want to leave the Wraith. I didn't want to have them as my enemy. If you'd have converted me to human and he'd have stuck... I wouldn't have known, it wouldn't have mattered, but you screwed up and you made me this, and I'm going to make the most of it. I'm sure over time he would have been able to do research on himself and get rid of the bit more of the human gene out of him. Yeah, given his intelligence, at some point he'd have been able to turn it around. Yeah, exactly. Michael Michael escapes with Taylor. Not good, not good at all. They do have some prisoners, maybe that will pay off. Mm. Beckett is in serious trouble, he's not dead, but he's seriously weak. And the only solution is to put him in stasis like they did with Jack. Again, yeah. <laughs> that was the end of The Kindred Part 2. No votes. I don't think people like The Kindred. Yeah. Paulie McGillian fans out there who voted for him. <laughs> Perhaps they thought, that's not him really. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of two-parters, it's got most of the things you want. It's the whole fusion and the hybrid stuff. Didn't really tickle my fancy. At the time, that's all it doesn't really now. There's some good stuff in there, of course. Maybe setting up the seasons arc. Yeah. You didn't need two episodes to do it. Maybe that episode had a lot more padding than that was really required. Yep. The Last Man. Air date March 7th, 2008. Written by Joseph Malozzi and Paul Mully and directed by Martin Wood. They have a tip of a planet where uh, Taylor may be, but after it being a dud... John returns to Atlantis only to find out he's been hurtled forward 48,000 years. <laughs> yes. Atlantis is empty. It looks like someone has been decorating because the colour scheme is totally different. Yeah, it's gone from the blue to the red shift in colour. All the plants are dead. Yeah, the reason for that is easily explained when John looks outside. Yeah, opens the door and goes outside and finds us in the middle of a desert. Yeah. Great visual. <laughs> yeah, basically, over the thousands of years, the water's evaporated and Atlantis is actually settled on the seabed. Yeah. Which is sci-fi, really. That's an incredible sci-fi concept. Yeah, but the city hasn't been destroyed in any way. Yeah, it's just gradually, over the eons, slowly lowered itself. Yeah. Landed on the bottom. Yep, there's been there's been no evasion. We've just left it for some reason. Yeah, we don't know anything about that. 
all we know is that there's no trace of anything left by the expedition. Yeah, no power. The humans left. Nobody else knew where Atlantis was. Mm. Huge guest cast list. Chris Heidel is back, of course, as Todd. Connor Tanier as Michael. Kate Hewlett makes a small appearance. Robert Picardo, Andy Frizzle, Heather Dawson, Chuck Gamble. They're the main ones. You've got a few extras, of course. Some hybrids and uh, extra doctors. They're all back just for little bit parts when we see the uh, flash forwards. We need you for a couple of hours filming. Come up here, will you? <laughs> yeah, we've got a McKay hologram that Rodney together over, was it two decades? Is that something like he was working? Yeah. A way to rescue John? Because he's the only one that uh, believed that's what happened. Yeah, 25 years. 25 years it took McKay to get it all together and go to Major General yeah. Lorne. <laughs> yeah, in the well, flash forward, flash back, whichever way you want to look at it. It was an imaginative, well-written finale. It put a lot of pressure on David, more so than Joe, really. David was doing most of the work. He had most of the talking to do, because he was narrating all the flash-forwards. Carter got her own ship, Phoenix. Oh, yeah. McKay said they buried another empty coffin. That Yeah, that says a lot, doesn't it, really? Mm. When Wolsey takes over Commander Atlantis, he basically came along and trotted out, look, we're not going to spend any money looking after these people. Yes, I know most of this is our fault. We don't care anymore. They can all die. We're going to look after our own people and our own time. Yeah, we're spreading resources too thin. They survived that long because they made friends in Pegasus. Mm. Whoever was at the head of the IOA or the president or whatever, they washed their hands of it. That prompted Jennifer and Rodney to leave. Kind of set the ball in motion, really. Yeah. I think Rodney tells him that they found Taylor. Yeah, she'd already had the baby. Yeah, they got there too late. Michael got the baby, he infected his, whatever it was, his soldiers, the Hoffman drug. To be fair, the IOA probably thought, nothing we really can do at this point, Michael is too strong, mm. without huge resources into Pegasus. We don't know what was going on in the Milky Way at the time. Mm. Well, he said that Michael had the Wraith on their knees in a couple of months. If he uh, gets on top of the Wraith, he's got all their ships and everything at his disposal. It's all just get the baby, get the baby at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a bit obsessive. <laughs> But meanwhile... Yeah, from the alternate future, John learns where they found Taylor. So do a bit of a walk, walk from one pier to the other through a sandstorm and... Um, it all works out, let's not worry too much. Yeah. John gets back, he's only been gone 12 days? Yeah, yep, something like that. Get gear up, I know where Taylor is. No time to explain. Who's he? Is he, is he really John? Yes, I'm John. <laughs> they get there, looks like a very, very organic looking incubator. Wraith technology, Ugh, creepy. McKay starts looking, oh, treasure trove, lot, you know, Wraith database, Michael's database, click, 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 beep, beep. Oh, damn. No time to go anywhere, the whole complex implodes, and you're going... It's certainly a cliffhanger. I'm sorry, but nobody, nobody survives that if they are inside that building. No, I'm surprised it uh, perfectly implodes with no fireball. <laughs> it's more of a controlled demolition than a self-destruct, you'd say. Yes, it was, yeah. And unfortunately, it wasn't great CGI either. No, that was definitely noticeable. It ran a bit too fast. This looked like a cartoon. You could you could knock over a tube of Smarties and look more realistic. <laughs> Brilliant finale. If it wasn't for this ending, this would have been my favourite of the season. Right. I know, it was talked about at the time on Gateworld. Now, it was the same tacked on. You've got all that time, Shepard unfreezes, and he just easily gets back to the gate, even though we've seen he had to go across the desert to get to there and... Everything else that just seemed to wrap up too quick. It's certainly a cliffhanger. Maybe not the best use of it. Like I love all the future, possible future stuff. Gives them a, uh, a way of telling different stories. 
without it having to stick to canon. Okay, then, The Last Man. It got four votes. And that was it. Ah, uh, very nice. Season four, 20 episodes. That took us a long time. That did. Come try ya! Okay, the season four poll results. Thank you very much to everyone that voted. We got 40 votes, which isn't bad considering the poll was open for a week. I would personally have loved to have got more votes considering we uh, linked it up to our Google Plus site, Facebook site, website and Twitter. The reach of the poll was pretty big, but never mind. Of the 40 votes, the top three episodes. Number one, Be All My Sins Remembered with six votes. Joint second, Doppelganger and Tabula Rasa with five votes each. Yep, that's understandable. Stargate Atlantis Season 4 premiered in the US on the Sci-Fi Channel back in 2007, September the 28th to be precise, and it made its debut on Sky in the UK on the 9th of October. The season had 20 episodes, which was the norm for the franchise, and by all accounts was a well-respected season of sci-fi television. The DVD box sets of the fourth season were released throughout 2008, beginning with Region 1 on July the 8th, Region 2 on August the 4th, and finally Region 5 on the 3rd of September. The Blu-ray of the fourth season was released in the US on the 27th of November, and it was of course included in the series box set, which was released on July the 26th, 2011 in the US, and in the UK on the 19th of September. A great deal of thanks for the following listeners who joined us on episodes during this fourth season. Thomas, Brad, Phil, Jeff, Andres, Andrew and Ian. Thank you very much guys. A few of them will be joining us for the fifth season and maybe a bonus show or two. And there are a few episodes left that need a guest. Or you need a Skype and the rest we can all sort out. After all, all we do is watch an episode and talk about it. It's not rocket science, no matter what Rodney might say. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening to this wrap-up show. Next week, we are going to be watching the Season 5 premiere, Search and Rescue. That's the one. Which is part two of two. Of Who will survive? <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, folks, thank you very much for staying with us for Season 4. I hope you stay with us for Season 5. We've got a few spaces left on the schedule if you want to join us for that. Get in touch if you want to join us. But until then, I've been Mike. And I've been Brad. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Gatecast, hosted by Alan and Mike. Join us at gatecast.co.uk. Stargate forever. Stargate forever.